Lord, we thank you for opportunities this morning that we have to, to come to you, uh, to come to you with our hearts singing, uh, to come to you um, in communion and uh, kind of kind of examine ourselves and, and our, our hearts. And uh, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for the opportunities that you, that you give us uh, each day to do those kinds of things. And, and Lord, I pray for opportunities that are coming up this week for kids to go to camp. And I pray for the camp staff and, and what's going on there. And, and just as you're preparing hearts, uh, I pray for our, our kids from Brown Corners. Um, some of them may be going this week. Uh, we just ask that you would speak to them in a real way. Uh, during their time at camp. And uh, we continue to remember Ines in prayer. She's in training, and uh, we'll be heading out for her assignment here very shortly. And uh, Lord, we pray that um, that might just be a, an immensely effective time, uh, both in her spirit and in the lives of the people that she will touch. And uh, we just thank you for, for that, and, and uh, pray that this morning uh, you might uh, use the words of me uh, to speak some truth into someone's life. We just ask that in your name. Amen. Well, this is uh, Independence Weekend, right? Tomorrow is... Anybody see some, uh, some fireworks yet this weekend? Uh, my, my family and I went to uh, Bay City on Friday night thinking, hey, let's go watch some fireworks. We went to... Uh, what's that boys' pizza place? Brooklyn Boys? Really good pizza. And, uh, and my wife and my boys said, you know what? I want to go home and go to bed. So they left. So me and the girls were sitting there. I said, sweet, we'll watch the fireworks. Five minutes later, they said, we don't care about fireworks. So we, went home. we, didn't, we didn't see any fireworks. Um, but hey, for those of you that love fireworks, uh, I hear Bay City has some great ones. Um, so what, what image comes to mind when you hear the word freedom? For me, one of the first ones that came to mind was the flag. Any, anybody, that, was that an image? A few of you. All right, good. Some of you may have thought of this guy. Yeah, freedom! You know. Anybody here when I did that sermon, when I looked like a fool and, and I painted my face like Braveheart? It's memories, you guys, I probably want to block out. So, um, Yeah, Mel Gibson, freedom. So, some of you may have thought, it's party time, right, with, with the Minions. You know, let's party, we're free, we can do whatever we want. Like kids at the end of the school year, we're free. You know, freedom. The image that, that popped up on Google uh, was this one. And so this is the one I, I printed on your, your thingy, and, and we'll use it as the background for our PowerPoint today. Uh, but we, we set aside time tomorrow to celebrate our independence as a country and being free from, from England. This idea of freedom, I think, is often misunderstood. And I think it's becoming... More so in our culture, uh, in our country, every day. We've already begun taking the idea of freedom way too far. And, and we're not alone. This has happened many times throughout history. It starts out as something really awesome. And then it ends up being carried away to an extreme that, that's not what it intended to be. So when we talk about personal freedom, we're going to look today at Galatians chapter 5. There's actually two passages that are going to be central to today. Galatians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8. And so if you, if you have a Bible handy, you can look in your, your pew for a Bible. We're going to be in, in Galatians chapter 5. And basically the stage for Galatians chapter 5, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. And he was writing to people who had been prisoners of sin and bondage to its control and death. And the law had not been able to liberate them. Now, if you, 
understand a little bit about the, the Bible. The, in the Old Testament, we, uh, the, the Israelites, God's people, were living under a law. And that law is pretty lengthy. I mean, how many of you, when you can't fall asleep, go to Leviticus? I mean, that's a good spot to go. Uh, because you start reading those laws, and it's like, ah, oh, tedious, tedious, law, law, law. And so we see this, this in, in, uh, in Galatians, that the law has not been able to set anyone free. Uh, the law was only meant to be a temporary fix until Christ came and fulfilled it. And so before Christ, mankind was under this law, much like a slave is under his master. But with the coming of Christ, mankind is now set free. But there was a movement, however, in some of the churches to go back to the law. Now, why do you think people would want to go back to the law? The only thing in my mind that, that makes sense is it just makes things easier. I, I'm a math guy. I was a math major in, high, in uh, college, got my math degree. And, and the reason I love math is there's sets of rules that you follow, and you don't break them. Because if you break them, you get the wrong answer, okay? So, so when you're doing an equation or you're doing a geometric proof or you're doing anything mathematical, there are laws in place, and I, lo- I love the fact that, that there are rules and we can follow them and we know we're right. I, I always tell, told my students, I tell my kids, anybody needs math help, you know, if you just take your time, you can always check your answers and know that you're right. Isn't there some appeal to that, to know you're right? And when it comes to your faith, wouldn't you just love to have a set of things that you could just follow and then you know you're on the right path or you know you're justified? The problem is that list is really long. We read Leviticus, right? right? That list is impossible to get them all right. But there's still some appeal to that. And I think that's why Islam is, is such a popular religion because it has a pretty simple list of rules you follow and if you do those five pillars of Islam, you're, you're good. Well, and for us... The law is impossible. God's law is, is, is immense. But I can see where the appeal was. But Paul, Paul says, no, the law is not the thing that's going to save you. It's Christ. And so let's uh, hop into Galatians chapter 5. And I'm, I'm reading from, the I think, the English Standard Version. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. This this is where the brave heart, you you feel, feel it through you there. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, 
and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for those these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We are free. But what does that mean? How should that affect our lives? Let's unpack this this idea of freedom by first looking at what freedom is not. Freedom is not license. Anybody ever have trouble spelling that word, license? I do all the time. i got to spell check it every time. Freedom is not license. Outside of Scripture, most people think that freedom means the right to be and to do as you please, how you please, when you please, and where you please. It means doing your own thing, being your own boss, and really looking out for numero uno first and foremost. Webster's defines freedom as an exemption from necessity and choice and action. The right to any choice, so long as it's your own personal choice. Would you agree that this is becoming kind of our number one value in our culture? Do as you want to do. Hey, man, I'm not hurting anybody. My choice. I'm free to do whatever I want. Individualism is rising on the chart of values in American culture. In a word, most people look at freedom as license. License and an excuse to throw off the moral restraints of God in pursuit of your own selfish goals. It sounds kind of good on the surface. I mean, after all, I, I kind of like to do what I want to do, and, and I don't really want to have anybody tell me it's right or wrong. Um, but it almost always re- eventually results in the exploitation of others, moral degeneracy, and lawlessness. We are in a do-your-own-thing society. And this kind of freedom, though, often ends in slavery or bondage. We think we're free, but then we become slaves or bonded to the very thing that we are choosing to do. Second Peter says, These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Any of you had, had a, a, a thing that you thought was a nice free choice, and then a few more steps down the road, you become a slave to it? Maybe it's earning money, maybe it's, it's work, maybe it's some of the things listed there in Galatians, the, the sensual desires of the heart. Uh, you know, studies show that, that pornography is running rampant through the church, not just through society. And it only takes a little bit to, to start down that road. And then you think you have this freedom of, of what your eyes see, and then you become a slave to it. Maybe it's, it's a lie. Anybody ever have a, a lie that snowballs? 
then you become enslaved to the lie because you've got to keep telling more lies to kind of back up the first lie. And, and the very thing that you thought would set you free becomes your master. License does that when we look at freedom. Paul is concerned that we have God's perspective, the viewpoint of Scripture regarding true freedom. Christian freedom is never the freedom to sin or to do as you please. Verse 13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Like, like many people today, the, the people uh, that Paul was writing to tended to move to one of the two extremes. The first is to think they had no restraint. Throw off all restraint, do whatever you want. Their newfound freedom in Christ meant they could do whatever they wanted, and, and the grace of God would cover this license. I had a, a friend who was serving as a missionary with me in, in Macau, and uh, her mom and dad were going through some, some struggles, and uh, they ended up getting divorced, and her dad told her, I can divorce your mom, and God will forgive me. That was his, his motive going into it. I know whatever I do. And, and, you know, to a certain extent, that's true, right? There's no sin that the, the blood of Christ has not covered. But Paul says in Romans 8, he says, Should I go on sinning so that grace may abound more? No way. That's not the reason for grace. The reason for grace isn't to give us free license on our sin. The other hand, others were diving back into the law, and this only served to bring them back under the bondage that was the law. The, the great big list of, of do's and don'ts. And the, kind of, the list that I kind of like. <laughs> I kind of like that do and don't list. But it's, you become a slave to it. Second thing is, freedom is not in de- independence. I know today and tomorrow we, we're talking about Independence Day. and Anybody see the movie Independence Day 2? Uh, you have? Is it good? All right. Well, it's not on my list of movies to see, but yeah. Because Will Smith isn't in it. You know, I kind of was looking forward to that. Um, but Independence Day, and we, and we talk about this independence thing a lot, and uh, we want our kids to be independent, right? How many of you parents don't want your kids living in the house when they're 25? I mean, most of us, it's time to uh, get out there on your own a little bit. But our, and our culture certainly favors personal independence for several reasons. I, I found an article that stated eight reasons to try to become more independent. Here they are. It will boost your confidence. It will make you less reliant on others. It will reduce stress and promote happiness. Because you can do whatever you want on your own, right? It makes you happy. It will mean freedom and a sense of accomplishment. It will lead to better decision-making. I don't know about that. It will improve your creativity. It will broaden your horizons, and it will increase your self-value and self-esteem. On the surface, those things may sound nice, but I think I could give you a biblical response to each of them, saying that they're kind of off the mark. It it almost makes total independence seem great, but, but that simply isn't true, right? We need people. We've been created to be in relationships. In fact, in the Garden of Eden... After, after most everything was created, what did God say to Adam? It is not good for you to be alone. And so he gave Adam this beautiful creature that Adam called woman. And, and suddenly Adam was in these great relationships, right? He had a great relationship with his wife, Eve. He had a great relationship with God. He walked with him in the garden. 
He had a great relationship with all the animals that were created, right? Nothing's going on. And then, and then sin enters and, and makes a break with those relationships. And what's the first thing that, that, they, that Adam and Eve wanted to do after they, they sinned? They tried to be independent, right? They wanted to go hide. They wanted to be out of, out of sight, out of mind. And I think we've been kind of running that race ever since, wanting to become independent, when really we need other people. We, have, we were created to be in relationship with other people. So it's not license, it's not independence. What is freedom then? Freedom is opportunity. Now what do I mean by that? Quite simply, I think it means we have the ability to choose. Christ has set us free. If you have entered into a relationship with him by believing in him, receiving his spirit, confessing your sin and turning from it, you are now set free. Not to have this carte blanche license to do whatever you want, even though grace does cover your sin, but to now follow a different path, a path marked with obedience to something greater than the law. Back to verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, this, this is, this is going to sound really odd because this is one of those Christian paradoxes, okay? Christ has set us free so that we can be servants. Christ has set us free so that now we can become a slave. But not to the law, not to ourselves, but to other people. And this is where I think the, the freedom means opportunity. We, we've been set free, so now we have the opportunity to freely choose to love and serve other people. Slavery to one another and to God is nothing at all like slavery to the flesh or to the law. Slavery to the flesh and law result in death, misery, and frustration. It causes us to be consumed and torn apart by one another. On the other hand, slavery to God and one another results in true freedom and maximum blessing. Slavery to sin is involuntary and never neutral. It's degenerative and destructive both to yourself and others. Slavery to the law is voluntary. It's man choosing to try to save himself. As such, it's foolish, burdensome, but also completely helpless to change our lives from the inside where it really counts. But slavery to God and to one another is also voluntary. It is a product of love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thus it becomes a source of glory to God and joy and peace and blessing to self and others. So, so this, this idea of freedom, we, we are free to become servants. And, and it's only in doing that, that that we bring God that glory. It's not the freedom to do as one pleases, but the power and capacity both to will and to do as one should. True freedom is never freedom from responsibility. You know, our, our forefathers forefather, felt that, that true freedom was not freedom from responsibility, but the responsibility to make right choices. That, that's really what true freedom is. We have this responsibility to make right choices. For the Christian, freedom is this, this inner contentment with who we are in Christ and what we have. For many people, they're not content with, with what they have or their station in life or, or um, how, much, how many toys they have to play with or... or how much money they have in the bank, or what size vacation they can go on. True contentment is being free from from that bondage and to be content with who you are in Christ and for what you have. 
It means to covet only heavenly treasure. It means the willingness and ability to allow God to be in control of your life. It's a single-mindedness which turns the control over your life to Christ, which in turn frees you both in your mind and your will to follow the Lord. We're designed this way, by the way. When I was a kid, um, my dad built this this huge 4 by 8 table, double-decker table, and on the top we had this really cool train set. And I, I love playing with trains, and it had you know all kinds of tracks and little buildings and tr- fake trees and stuff. On the bottom was, the, was our racetrack. You know, every year we'd either add to it or we'd get a new one, and we'd run around the tra- the, those racetracks. But bo- both of those things have, have rails that the, the cars or the trains have to follow. It was, it's designed that way. You're supposed to stay on the rails. And, and what happens when they got off the rail? Big crash, or the train would smash into a building or, or whatever. We're designed to be on this track of freedom. We're designed to be free. Christ came to set us free. But when we don't get on that freedom track, our life can end up just like those trains and just like those little race cars. They get smashed up. We're designed that way. We need to get back on track. Freedom is connected to our human relationships, with, which flow from a right relationship with God through faith in Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In, in Galatians, in this ch- chapter 5, Paul uses the term one another five times. This is a big deal. We are in relationship with one another. True freedom only exists when we are free from ourselves and we put others first. You know, no matter what go- governments or nice people try to do to improve the world or improve society, society eventually deteriorates. Why? Because man is enslaved to sin, and sin leads us to, uh, man is primarily sinful and selfish. Rather than truly desiring to serve others, he basically seeks to serve himself, meet his own needs, and as a result, he ends up exploiting others. I think it's evident in our social programs that these programs often fail to work because man is unable to work them effectively. And I think Paul understood this. He said, if you're going to serve one another in love, you need a source that is not you. Because you will screw it up. How many times have, have organizations failed because of someone skimming off the top? Or how many scandals have we seen where, where people take money that really isn't theirs? Because it starts out as a good thing and, and it deteriorates because we're all sinful. We need something other than ourselves. We need the indwelling Spirit of God. And this is where we, we need to shift to, to Romans chapter 8. I got that here somewhere. Romans chapter 8. There's a book by a guy uh, by the name of Ken Bearding. He outlines seven things that will help us walk in the Spirit. In fact, the book is titled, Walk in the Spirit. So if you want to Amazon it or whatever. But to live free, we must walk in the Spirit. I won't read through all of Romans chapter 8. Do you have it there in front of you? But I do want to read the first several verses. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free 
in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You see that statement there? God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh. The law was not, was not bad. When God gave the law to Moses, the whole, the whole Exodus Leviticus, he knew that there's no human that could, could fulfill all of that, even though they tried really, really hard. That's why he says it's weakened by the flesh. He did what the law could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. First, first point that Bearding makes is simply there are no shortcuts. If you're going to walk in the spirit, there, there's no shortcut way to do that. You have to put time, energy, and effort into walking with the Spirit. It's not just for ultra-spiritual people, and it's not just reserved for charismatic Christians. Life according to the Spirit is not simply trying to do the right thing, nor is it trying, just simply trying to live according to God's law. It is a central metaphor for describing what it means to live as a Christian. The person who walks according to the Spirit will, in fact, have the essence of the law fulfilled in his life. How many of you like to go on walks with, with your wife or with someone? Walks on the beach? You know. We like to go on walks. But it, it, as you're walking side by side, if one of you starts to veer a little bit, it, it doesn't take too long before you're on different paths. And I think this is, this is the, the essence of, of what... Um, is meant here is there's no shortcuts we, we've got to stay walking it's, it's not a jog it's not a, a sprint it, it's a walk and we need to walk daily and consistently side by side with the spirit and there's there's really no fast way to do that we can't microwave it, it, it it's a it's a leisurely walk we're, we're going on a walk but the caution is if if you get off track Sometimes you can, you can be way off, off track, and before you know it, you're in a different zip code. Uh, when I was 15, I went on my first missions trip, and we went to this place called Rebel Rock in Kentucky. And uh, it was about a three-minute jaunt to the top of this rock where supposedly, um, during the Revolutionary War, uh, a, a rebel who had lots of information, instead of giving up that information, jumped to his death off this rock. So we went up there, and we're... I was reminded of it because it's Independence Day, Rebel Rock. And uh, we're up there, and, and me and my new best friend, who was 13, said, let's, let's see how fast we can get to the bottom. So we took off for the bottom, and we made one wrong turn, and we were gone. We were lost for three hours. People were freaking out. Um, we eventually got into this terrain that was, like, all covered with briars. I don't know how I got in the middle of it, but I had shorts on, and and I had cuts all, it looked like I got in a fight with about a dozen cats. And, uh, and man, we were read the riot act when, when, you know, when they, we were found. You know, thank you, Lord, for finding them. You guys, they were all over us. Um, but that's, that's what happens. You can get off just, just one little, little wrong turn and we can be, be totally off track. So there's no shortcuts. And we thought we were taking a shortcut. A no shortcut. You can't speed it up. You gotta, gotta walk. Secondly, you need to set your mind on things of the Spirit. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. How does one overcome the pool of the flesh? i got a little, little illustration here. Um, how do I get the air 
out of this cup? What, what, what's, what's a way I could get the air out of that cup? Any thoughts? Put something else in it. So if I'm desiring to get the air out of the cup, if I fill this with water, now, now the air is gone. And the same is true when, you, when you're talking about setting your mind right. We have a natural proclivity to put things in our mind that we should not. I know I do, for sure. It's, it, it's thoughts of other people. It's lustful thoughts. It's thoughts of anger, thoughts of jealousy, thoughts of gossip. I mean, you, you can run down a, a whole litany of things. Food. We, we have all these thoughts in our mind. The only way we can get rid of those thoughts is to replace them with other thoughts. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's the stuff we've got to get in our, into our minds. We've got to replace our natural proclivities with things that are holy and, and from God. What I do with the clicker in my pocket. Number three is to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. The person who's been regenerated by the Spirit is not stuck in sin. By the Spirit, the pool of the flesh can be resisted. Put to the death the deeds of the body is pretty much the same thing as saying, just say no to sin, but... But unlike the, the anti-drug campaign, just say no, that, that's never going to be successful. You must say no by the Spirit. Now, we can try to control our behavior as much as we can control it, but you know, if I, if I put my six-year-old behind the wheel of a car, you know, she can control it maybe for ten feet, <laughs> and then the garage door's coming down, right? I mean, can't reach the brakes. You know, can't. So, so to put someone in control of these things... It's, it's better to do this by the Spirit. The Spirit is the thing that can, can control. We've proven, at least I've proven to myself, that, that I cannot. Number four is to be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us broadly. And this is kind of an always kind of thing. But then he also leads us sometimes very specifically. We can always uh, go to the written word, and, and that will lead us in, in a broad way. We, we can prayerfully and carefully and humbly apply these biblical wisdom, these biblical principles to situations we face. Uh, but sometimes the Holy Spirit leads us directly. The Holy Spirit can choose to act in any way and according to any timetable that He wishes. We don't get to dictate to Him how or when He will move. But we should be available to listen. I can't always predict which direction the Holy Spirit's going to lead, but I can make myself available to listen. And, and if we are open to that, he, he will guide us. Uh, fifth, know God by the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we would really never know of our freedom and identity as God's children. Thankfully, God has freely given us His Spirit. And He, and, and he um, the Spirit helps us in these three ways. Number one, and this is in Romans 8, 15 to 17, he acts as the go-between who takes us out of a place of slavery and fear and brings us into a place of adoption. So he's our, our go-between. He helps us to cry out to God as Father, and he testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. 
knowing that you are God's child is a, is a pretty powerful thing. When, when you know and realize in your heart that, that you are God's, it can lead you to um, just a, a deeper understanding of who he is and, and this idea of walking with the Spirit becomes a little easier. Sixth, hope in the Spirit. The biblical concept represented by the, the English word hope is so strong that it's almost a synonym for eager expectation. The focus of that expectation isn't that life will get better here. It's absorbed with the glorious life to come. Romans 8.23 says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Paul claims that it's because we have the Spirit, not despite it, that we groan. And this passage is precisely the presence of the Spirit within you that causes you to feel this particular kind of suffering, this longing for final redemption in the midst of a fallen world. Last, to walk in the Spirit, you need to pray in the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 through 28, some of my favorite verses in Scripture say this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We learn that when we are weak, we are weak when we come to prayer. We don't often know what to pray for in any given situation. And when, you're, when you come to that point of, of weakness and, and submission, it's then that the Spirit can take over for you. Um, the concern here is not about the manner of prayer, the how that you pray, but rather the content of our prayers. What do we actually pray about? We learn that the Spirit joins to help us when we are struggling to know how to pray. It is not as some propose that we should just pray whatever we want since we don't have any idea how to pray and that the Spirit fixes them up and prays on our behalf to the Father. Rather, the verb often translated as helps has a, a preposition attached to the front of it which, which really suggests that it means joins to help. So, so when you're praying, it's as if the Spirit joins in and helps. And so you've got to be praying. That's kind of a key here. And then the Spirit will, will join in. On your behalf. The Spirit is searching our hearts and knows that we have a mindset that's focused on Him, even if we don't know what we're exactly supposed to pray. The result is that our prayers are prayed according to the will of God because the Holy Spirit is moving us thus to pray and present the prayers that He is guiding us to pray. The, the whole idea of prayer, and, and, and this has kind of been, been a, a work in progress in my life, the whole idea of prayer is for us to discover what God's will is. But there are some times when the Bible records that we present the things we want God's will to be to see if, if, if we're on the right path. And so when, when we're praying, there's a tendency to just kind of put your list before the Lord of, of things that you want to have happen. And, and I'm saying that's okay, but we have to understand that really... We want the will of God to happen. And that's why when Jesus prayed the, that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, take this cup from me. That's what he wanted to have happen, right? 
He did not want to go through that, but he ended his prayer with, not what I want, not my will, but yours. And so when we pray in the Spirit, we, we are praying in that way. We are looking for God's will. But it's okay to pray some things that you'd like to see happen. I mean, when, when Inus, we just prayed for Inus, she's in, in Turkey, we want to pray that she is safe and effective in ministry. But if it turned out that there was another issue in Turkey, that would, we wouldn't just say, well, what God's doing. I mean, he's obviously left and didn't answer our prayers. No, we would have to try to discover what God's will was in, in that situation. And, and too many people, I think, flee God when the things that they pray don't turn out the way they want them to. And for us, we need to pray in the Spirit because God's will is the thing that's, that's most important. Being a servant of Christ often involves, or always involves us in service to others. Because being in Christ, we are part of his body and members of one another. So we need to walk in the Spirit, allow ourselves to be led by the God's Spirit. We are free. We are free to love and serve one another. And I believe Galatians chapter 5 at the end tells us the result of that. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those things don't have a law against them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this idea of freedom, and it's so, uh, so misunderstood, I think, in our society, the, this idea that freedom can be license, or freedom is independence, and Lord, Lord, those are not what you intend for our freedom. Our freedom is in the opportunity we have to love and serve one another. That's the reason you set us free. You set us free so that we can serve other people. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, we think about this, this freedom idea today and tomorrow, uh, as we're most likely off work and, and doing some fun stuff with family, um, I pray that we may take a small step of serving another person. And, uh, Lord, to do that, we've got to walk in your spirit. Um, no, no secret, but it's so difficult to do sometimes because we... we I know I get in my, my own way so often. Um, I do the things that I want to do, and I don't consider the things that you would want me to do. And so, Lord, I pray that, that we may make a choice um, to walk in your spirit today. Uh, thank you that, uh, that we have your scripture to look at as we ponder through um, Galatians 5 and Romans 8 and uh, the truths that are there. Uh, Lord, I pray that today might be... Uh, the opportunity we're looking for to truly be free, to truly be set free, and to serve and love one another. And we just give you all the praise for that in your name. Amen.